back with another edition of Stark and Clark. It's around town with uh, one of our most favorite folks that we have in the studio, and that is the horticulturalist at the UK College of Agriculture, Andy Rideout. Fantastic. Glad to be here, Bill. And we do this uh, about once a season to uh, give folks kind of an idea of some of the topics and things that are coming up and what uh, to be thinking about. And uh, we, I thought we had a great show last time, and I think this will be equally great. And so we're talking more about this time of year when things kind of slow down in one respect, but they kind of pick up in another way, don't they? They do. You know, I tell everybody all the time, there's a lot of stuff still happening in the landscape, in your lawn, and your, uh, in the soil. The soil is a whole big topic. Uh, a lot of mycorrhiza activity in the soil, fungi activity. So there's a lot of stuff happening with plants, even though we don't see it above ground a lot of times. But in the fall, I, I typically talk about topics of maintenance. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in the fall we can do that'll help our plants uh, long-term in the spring and, and help them bloom better, help them uh, just generally grow better. So so maintenance is a big big ticket in the fall. Just a look back a little bit, though. Our last growing season was a good one, wasn't it, uh, as far as the duration and not too stressful, I think, for a lot of plants. It really wasn't. You know, we went, we, what was it, June we went all month without any rain. I started worrying, uh, not just for landscape, the horticulture type stuff, but I started worrying for the farmer's crops also. But we got a rain in nick of time, like the first week of July, first two or three days of July. And that's what they call the million-dollar rain in the agriculture business, you know, and, and it was a big, big deal. Uh, but with our landscape also, uh, the same stuff applies. You know, a lot of plants, if, if you plant correctly, choose your plants correctly, they'll, they'll suffer a little, but they'll make it through a drought period because uh, we have those, uh, if not this year, next year, you know. So uh, it, it does worry you a little bit. And, and uh, brand new plants, uh, we probably need it to water in June uh, if they were just planted that year. And we might have had some loss because they weren't watered. But in general, most of our plants... Made it through it, no problem. I know Pim did a lot of watering in in her garden, right? I did a lot of watering. Hauling water is my exercise. I have a hose, but I like to haul the water. And when people ask me if I work out, I say, yeah, which I don't work out, work out. I work outside, and I haul water. Is there a difference between hosing a plant and, say, watering it by hand? Not, well, the difference is the work involved. <laughs> sure. And I do water at the base of the plant yeah. rather than on the foliage. And that's what I would add. You know, no matter how we water, um, there's a couple things to keep in mind. If you you want to soak your plant deeply. Uh, so sometimes it's hard with a hose or with a bucket because, you, you know, you put a half gallon of water on it, half of that runs off. It doesn't soak in good. Well, one, one good way, let me explain it this way, is if you take a five-gallon bucket and drill little bitty holes in the bottom of it, fill that five-gallon bucket, set it beside your plant, that water's real slow. It just continually drips, and it has time to soak in. And that's what we strive for. <clears throat> now, the problem is we, get, we all lead, lead busy lives, and we don't have time to turn your hose on, you know, a third pressure and stand there for 20 minutes so it all soaks in on one plant so we go out there and we we douse them with a hose or a bucket and so if you're going to do it that way then then I would argue do it three or four days in a row and then we get a deep soaking uh, that's probably a better way to do it than just hitting them you know. I know Pam has several questions for you so uh, I'll t- let her take over yes um, I have hardy hibiscus in my garden and I don't know if I should cut them back in the fall or in the spring, because mm-hmm. I've heard both. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of plants that 
we say do not cut back in the fall. And uh, hibiscus is kind of one of them. They, they put on some buds for the spring, but they do it in the fall. So if you trim it and prune it hard right now, you, you trim those off. So you're not going to hurt the shrub by pruning, but you are going to diminish the blooms for next spring. So forsythia is another one. Um, and we talked about uh, hydrangea uh, a lot that, that puts on the buds on the old wood. Uh, so the new growth next spring won't have flowers on it, but the old growth will. So if you go in and cut those uh, what looks like dead stems on hydrangea uh, right now, you're actually pruning off the flowers. Uh, so I, I like to give the example a lot of times. Forsythia is a great example. It blooms very early in the spring. They already have buds on there now. But forsythia is also a very prolific grower. And sometimes uh, I have to trim mine back in the fall. It's gotten wild and I need to do it. Uh, now I realize I'm diminishing some of the blooms next year. I'm okay with that because I'd rather go ahead and get it pruned up now in the fall, and I don't hurt the bush at all. Uh, just reduce some of the blooms next year. Also, I have some um, some evergreen trees. Don't know exactly what kind they are, but I have some of the foliage that's turning brown, and that's a little bit scary. Not all of it, but some mm-hmm. kind of sprinkled throughout the tree. Mm-hmm. So when we talk evergreens, you know, we the very commonly used around here, we have arborvitas and we have Leland cypress. Uh, that's two of the biggest ones used. Of course, we have pine trees and uh, firs and, and so forth. But typically, when we talk about brown on evergreens, we're, we're generally talking about green giant arborvitas or uh, Leland cypresses. And, and so it's very natural for those trees to have some browning and they drop and shed their pseudo needles uh, they're not really needles but they drop them kind of regularly so a little bit of browning doesn't bother me uh, but if we have a patch or an area of the tree that is significantly browning then we start talking about disease or insect problems uh, so it kind of depends on on what it looks like i want to ask you about particularly blue azuratum when i first moved here to henderson which was many years ago Blue azuratum was everywhere. It did so well. I think it's an annual. Is that correct? It it's is. It's an annual. Yep. And I planted it. It was gorgeous until really shortly after the first hard frost. Mm-hmm. I have not seen a blue azuratum in years mm-hmm. in Walmart or Home Depot or Lowe's. Mm-hmm. So what what's going on with that? Well, you know, every plant takes cycles. You know, there for a while... Uh, when I was young, every new home had yews planted in front as their shrubs, like every home. <laughs> yews and, and uh, Fitzer juniper, uh, that was the two big shrubs that were used very commonly. Then we went through a phase with Japanese maples. Uh, everybody was putting a Japanese maple in. Well, blue ageranum, I assume, followed the same little pattern. But we're seeing a little uh, uh, resurgence of some of these older flowers and shrubs coming back. So uh, blue ageratum, you say you hadn't seen hardly any, should have came to my house. We've got a whole bed, a raised bed that we had full of blue ageratum. We just pulled out this weekend because the frost got it and nailed it. Where did you get them? Oh, I ordered seed. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So okay. so they're online, you know, that uh, we have a couple of places you can buy some flower seed locally, but, but if you really want a good selection, you almost have to go online now. Um, and there's several seed companies. Uh, Blue Adgeratum uh, germinates from seed very easily. It's really a sp- or spring and a fall plant. Our Blue Adgeratum at home 
looked absolutely gorgeous till a couple of weeks ago when we got the hard frost. Well, let me ask you about purchasing plants. Mm-hmm. Um, I am real partial to perennials because mm-hmm. you do it and then it just You're seems done. like less work, <laughs> yeah. less money, and then just kind of, you know, pop in some annuals mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. color. I'm wondering about uh, what zone I should be purchasing for. I know we're in six. Mm-hmm. I really love asters because mm-hmm. I couldn't get any blue azuratums. Mm-hmm. So I like asters, and I also like the purple verbena, mm-hmm. which I know can be an annual mm-hmm. or perennial. Yep. Um, and I put these uh, verbena in pots. Should I be looking more at purchasing zone four and five since I'm in six and I'm putting a lot of my perennials in pots? Yes and no, you know, that's a multi-answer question there, but we can grow a lot of plants that are not in our zone some years. And and a great example is banana trees. They are definitely not in our zone, but they grow very, very well here. Cannas are not really in our zone, but they grow well here. But what do we have to do to overwinter them? We have to bring in the banana trees inside or, or something, you know, and, and the... Uh, Cannas, we usually have to pile some mulch on top and insulate them a little bit. Uh, so when we talk about what's an annual here and, and what's a perennial and what's in our zone and what's not, uh, it's, it's a gray area with a lot of plants, and that's okay. Uh, we're very lucky because we live in the transitional zone. We can grow a lot of warm season plants here and a lot of cool season plants here, both. Where if you go up to Michigan or down to Florida, not so much. There is no mixing. They won't do well. You know? so, so we're very lucky in that, that situation. But we're unlucky because a lot of plants don't thrive really well here because it either gets too hot in the summer or too cold in the winter. But a lot of our winters uh, don't get that, doesn't get that bad. So a lot of what we would call annuals tend to overwinter. We have a lot of flowers coming back in our flower gardens, cut flower gardens, that typically are annuals. But every spring we have zinnias come back up, and really they're coming back up from seed. But we'll have uh, some perennials, too, that are are zone 7 or 8 that are coming back uh, and and have for years. You know, We're going to get a winter one day that probably will knock them out, and we'll have to replace them. But that's okay. I'm okay growing a zone 8 plant for four or five years until the winter knocks them out, you know. Well, let me ask you, you mentioned that banana, you you need to bring them in. What about geraniums? What about mandevilla? Uh, mm-hmm. Is it successful to bring in a mandevilla? Yeah. You can bring anything just about inside. the. And I say anything. Uh, some things don't do well inside. Uh, mandevilla uh, will do okay inside. It, it, it is a big sunlight lover. You so, have to cut it back. And you probably need to cut it back a little. Uh, uh, the, any any plant that we bring outside, inside, just about anything, uh, we, we probably should prune it back a little bit and, and make it easier to maintain itself uh, because we are reducing our light level no matter what. Uh, even if you've got a big sunroom, light is still the factor with a lot of them. Uh, and they, they struggle because of that. But uh, And the other thing, too, I think, is you have to recall uh, the humidity levels yes. inside our homes, usually not as much as you would have out in nature, right? Yes, and, and that's a great point, Bill, because humidity is is a very close second problem with plants indoors. <laughs> okay. Is it too late? Have I waited too long to bring in my No, no. Bring no? it on in. Yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. 
We, uh, you know, that a uh, great example too is rosemary. Uh, it does not typically survive our winters here, but I've had a rosemary bush in a pot, and I say bush because it's very big now, but all I do is pull it in the garage. It's not a heated garage, and every year it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and typically it would not survive our winters. Um, I even left it out on the patio the first year, and it made it through the winter, which surprised me. <laughs> But that's what got me saying, okay, I can keep this thing and overwinter it. I'll pull it in the garage and we'll be good, you know. Hmm. So, so far, very good luck with it. When do mm-hmm. I water things that are in pots? I've heard that uh, you shouldn't water anything in a pot unless it's over 40 degrees. No, well, yeah, you don't want the water to freeze, of course. But, but believe it or not, some of our stresses on plants from drought, a lot of that occurs during the winter. And some of it we can't prevent. You know, if it's if the ground's frozen solid, you're not doing any good dragging a hose out there and trying to water. Uh, so not much we can do about it. Uh, but um, I would argue any time we go through a long stretch of dry period, uh, you should water, uh, especially pots. Pots dry out quickest. Uh, and so you should give them some water, uh, even if they're not actively growing really well. Because as I said early on, in the soil, there's a lot of stuff happening in the soil all winter long, and they still need that moisture. I was going to ask about, you know, this is the time of year when people are bringing in a lot of plant matter for decorations, obviously, uh, either Thanksgiving and or Christmas. What are some handy tips if you're going to be uh, bringing in say like uh, garland and the Mm -hmm. ropes? and If you're bringing in live plant material... Uh, it dries out very quickly in our less humid environment inside. So, you know, at our wreath class uh, that we do every year at, with the Master Gardeners, uh, we, we talk about that a little bit, and, and you can mist them down a little bit uh, regularly. That keeps a little bit of moisture on there, but it dries out very quickly. You won't mist it too much, <laughs> okay? Uh, but also different types of material last longer. So cedar lasts a long time before it gets really dry and brittle, magnolia leaves we use in as, as little focus points, mm-hmm. uh, and they they last quite a bit, long time. Um, some things that don't last really well, and I'm trying to go by memory here, but holly dries out pretty quickly. So, you know, select your wreaths or your garland material will help out a lot with that. Would it help to run a humidifier? It would. Uh, it'd help out greatly. You know, a lot of people don't have humidifiers, and a lot of people also don't like that level of humidity in their home, including myself. <laughs> sure. And, and I love indoor plants, uh, but, uh, but the humidity gets up, and I tend to have more allergy problems and, and so forth. So, so you know, if, if it's possible, uh, keeping your house a little more humid uh, definitely would help pretty much all your plants indoors or your wreaths or garland or Christmas tree. And, again, also exposure to light. Yes. So uh, uh, just kind of the opposite of what we were talking about. If you're going to grow a plant a or keep a plant, plant yeah, yeah. alive, then if it's a you know something that's been cut, it's, it's only there for decoration, you want to keep it away from sources of heat, obviously, yep. and, uh, and then sunlight. Yes, and keep it away from your vents. Uh, that's a good, uh, good thought, no yes. No doubt it'll dry them out really quickly if, uh, if you put them near a vent or, uh, or in the bright sun, no doubt, even quicker than normal. I know grow lights mm-hmm. are great. Does a plant benefit at all from just like a regular light bulb? Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. You know, a regular uh, incandescent light or a regular light bulb or, or uh, even LEDs, we get some benefit, the plants do, out of that light. Uh, the problem is, is it's a lot of times, depending on the bulbs and what kind of light, uh, it's not a full spectrum light. And so, you know, it, it's getting like 20% benefit. And I'm guessing at that number. So if you do some research and I'm wrong, maybe I'm off a little, <laughs> might be 30%. But, but, uh, but anyway, not near the effect of sunlight. Uh, that's what it comes down to. Even our best grow lights are not the sun. Uh, and it just, it, it's not the same. That brings up a good point that I was going to ask real quick. Uh, since we are in the holiday season, people are in the uh, gift giving mode. How about some uh, tips as far as uh, great gifts for gardeners? Uh, yeah. Or wannabe gardeners. Even. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you can get gift certificates to uh, just about every landscape place in town. Uh, as well as the online seed stores and, and so forth. And and even though, uh, you know, you're given the gift card in December, uh, that is the best time to do a lot of your ordering for next year uh, by far. If you wait till February, the supply is going to be extremely limited. So your gift card to, to some of these seed supply places and plant supply places, very likely you should use it before spring uh, if you want the best selection. Uh, but that's probably the best recommendation. And if you need my address, I have that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. 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 You don't actually have to be a plant person for a plant to be a great gift. Totally agree. Uh, you know, I've got cats at home. Uh, one of the greatest things we ever did for them was grow the the grass that they like yeah. to uh, nibble on. Cat grass. Cat grass <laughs> is, is something. Plus, of course, catnip. Yeah. Now, I've thought about planting that, but then I'd had every, every cat in the neighborhood in my yeah. backyard. But uh, uh, but if, you're, if you've got a friend who's a chef, uh-huh. uh, maybe gift them with a small herb garden. Yes. They make little tabletop and countertop herb gardens that are, are really unique, actually, and, and easy to grow. That's a great gift for even a non-plant person. Um, you can give them uh, like tulips uh, that are forced is what we call it. We force them to bloom in the winter. And what's great is they can take those and plant them in their garden when they're done. Uh, so that's another great idea. We, we do a lot of bulb ordering, seed ordering, all that all through the winter. But you can go even farther with garden tools. If, if it's a regular garden, uh, garden tools every gardener will love, I promise you. <laughs> so, uh, and then, of course, gardening books. Uh, you know, we got a lot of readers out there, and uh, maybe they don't garden much at all, but, but uh, uh, even some of the gardening books are really good. And, of course, the pictures usually uh, make the garden books excellent. <laughs> yep. You just mentioned tulips. Mm-hmm. Do tulips have to be lifted every year? I no. mean, can I can put my tulips in the ground and just leave them? You can. Uh-huh. Um, now, what, what you do there is, is uh, you leave them in the ground, and they'll bloom back. Next year, we planted, my wife and I planted about, uh, I don't know, a thousand tulips four years ago. And it was too early for our market season to sell them, really. We didn't have an outlet for them. So we cut them for friends and family and uh, local nursing homes and so forth. But but then we decided, you know what, tulips are too early for us. and that We really can't use them much. So we just kind of tilled over them and planted other things. Every year, we have tons of tulips that come back before anything else. Okay, and I'm okay with that uh, because after they start fading away, we'll plant right over them again. No big deal. But the longer they stay in the ground, the less productive they are. So, you know, after four years now, going on five, 
we're seeing a lot of tulips not perform very well, and, and that's okay, too. If we ever want any more, we'll plant some more. Do you have to leave the foliage on them to die back like you do on daffodils? Yes. Dunkles? Pretty much any bulb flower, uh, it gets its energy to bloom next year from the foliage after it blooms this year. So you want to leave it until it totally turns brown and then cut it off. Uh, that's the only way you'll get a good bloom next year. What about hosta? Is mm-hmm. can I do I have to wait till they totally die down before I can clean my pot up? Not so much with hostas. You can cut it down while it's still green, but be careful. You know, if you're like most human nature uh, people, uh, you, you get anxious and want to clean up that landscape too early. And if we still have a, a six, seven, eight weeks of good weather that hosta is still building up carbohydrates and stuff in the soil and its roots to survive the winter and come out next year. So if you cut it too early, we, we might have some problems. But it's okay. Like if I know there's a, a frost coming on Saturday, I can kill them. I, I can cut them back on Monday. You know, no, no big deal. Just be careful and don't every year get a little earlier, a little earlier, a little earlier. Right. You'll be fine. Right now, a lot of people still have some uh, beautiful mums. But then usually once... Thanksgiving rolls around, they're pretty well gone. Is there a way that you can extend the life of those? Can you plant them into the ground and actually keep them as a, uh, a plant uh, then forever instead of just, you know, tossing it away? Mm-hmm. Chrysanthemums, wrong version of mums, they are perennial. So when you get done with your mums, as long as you've kept them watered a little bit, because if you don't water them in those pots, uh, they'll, they'll die fairly quickly. But keep them watered, plant them in your landscape, the problem is, is we time our mums to be ready for, you know, October to be blooming and ready to sell. So realize when you plant them in your landscape that now that mum is going to follow Mother Nature's uh, timing. And very likely in your landscape, it's going to be blooming probably a month earlier, a month and a half earlier uh, than what you might like it to typically, uh, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, no big deal. We, we have several mums in our landscape uh, and every year we enjoy the the blooms, uh, but usually a month earlier than what we like them. (laughs) Interesting. I had not really considered that. Again, when you're planting them this time of year, that's usually not the the best time to plant them. So uh, just know if if they don't make it. And I've tried it a couple of times. They 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 haven't really succeeded too well. Uh, do they do they like a lot of sunlight? I guess. Yes, they they like full sun. And and part of the problem we have with mums is most of our mums nowadays are are grown in production mode. They're grown in pots with drip irrigation and. And fertilizer, you know, that's going through the irrigation. And, and we're timing it when we plant them to be ready when we want to sell them. And so we go out and buy these mums from, from different groups that are raising money or, or what have you. And the part of the problem is, is, you know, the roots are used to that really good potting soil, used to daily watering and uh, daily fertilizer. And you're saying they're pampered, they is are. what you're saying. Yeah. And so we plant them out in our landscape, and my guess is... All of a sudden, people, they're in the wild, <laughs> yeah. and they say... Yeah, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to my breakfast every morning? What, what is this? <laughs> yeah. So that, that, that tends to make them struggle a little bit. But we've had probably a, oh, a 75% success rate on planting mums. Not a problem. When my mom... Well, I've done that, and when I've purchased the mum, it's big and round and you can hardly see any greenery it's all this abundant glorious color so i'll plant it i'll keep it alive but then when it grows it grows not round but kind of 
stilted. Uh, uh, yes, mm-hmm. it's all lopsided and lots of green and just a few blossoms. Mm-hmm. So should you be, tri- are these commercial mums, are they trimmed into these balls or do they naturally grow around like that? Typically, because of the timing and the fertilizer regimen we have, we encourage it to be to put blooms on at a certain time. And, uh, and because of that, it ends up kind of rounded and well-shaped. So in your landscape, it's going to start growing earlier than what we would typically grow them for production. And you can do some pruning on it. And, and that will also help with the timing of the blooms. So as soon as you see the buds, if it's too early, cut them off, shape them up, and uh, they'll be ready a little later and have more blooms. So this might be true for my asters, too, my purple exactly asters. Exactly the same, yeah. Ah, yep. they're the same family? You pretty much grow them the same way as you do oh, mums. Okay. Uh, yep. And, so they, you, and I know they bloom in the fall. Mm-hmm, yep. Right. Uh, they're the most beautiful in the fall, chrysanthemums, asters. What else? Oh, your ageratum. Ageratum. Ageratum, yeah. All three of those are fantastic fall bloomers and great for a landscape. I have a question about lantana. Yeah. I love it. Didn't mm-hmm. used to see it, now mm-hmm. see it all the time. I mm-hmm. think it's taken the place at Lowe's yeah. of azuratum. Yeah. I'm not sure. But it's a very woody stem. Mm-hmm. I pull it out because mm-hmm. I think it's an annual and not mm-hmm. a perennial. Is that true? It is up here. Uh, down okay. in Florida, it'll, it'll last year after year. Now, I've had lantana come back the next year, too but not very successfully uh, year to year to year. We typically pull ours also at home, but, uh, uh, but we've left a few, and, and it's come back the next year. So I, I would argue, you know, if you're not a little OCD about cleaning up your beds, maybe you leave it. It might, might bloom back, and you won't have to replace it next year. Well, I hate to say this, but uh, we're almost out of time already. It, all, such great information as always and helpful tips. And, and before we go, though, I wanted to give you an opportunity uh, to let folks know about something special that uh, may start off the new year with the uh, next session of the Master Gardeners. Yes, you know, we, we do the Master Gardener training at our office and, and run the Master Gardener Association through our office. And it's a great opportunity to get involved in the community and, and meet and and talk with uh, like-minded gardeners. and um, But these are college-level classes. It's about a 12-week class uh, to graduate. Very easy program. We've never had anybody fail, so don't worry about the, somebody will tell you we take a test at the end. Don't worry. Nobody fails. We're okay. Um, so don't get uh, anxious about that. But it is college-level training, and it is a commitment. Uh, so we're going to start on January 18th, I believe, is the date. And we go for 12 weeks, and we have a couple of weeks built in there for snow days in case we have to cancel. And we'll be studying uh, topics like soils and pathology and uh, botany in general. Uh, and then we do some fun ones, too. You know, some, some years we do flower arranging or uh, landscape design or what have you. So uh, we'd love to have you. Call the office right now. Get on our list. And then here in the next couple of weeks, you're going to get a phone call that says, okay, here's our dates, times. If you're ready to, to sign up, that's when you do it. And so right now, it's just an interested list. Uh, so don't hesitate to call and get on the list. I've noticed mm-hmm. some signs that uh, beautiful areas in town, particularly since I live and work downtown, I notice in the downtown area, that there'll be a beautiful area and there'll be a little sign mm-hmm. that says Master Gardener. Mm-hmm. So it's your students that provide yes, that beauty? Yes, yes we, we maintain a, a very nice garden on the Riverwalk up toward Hayes Boat Ramp and a lot of time and effort in there. 
We just recently were going to help with the maintenance at the Women's Honor Court. Uh, we do some uh, gardening for fresh vegetables for Christian Outreach Food Bank. Uh, we help Habitat for Humanity every now and then with some landscaping and some, some new homeowner uh, education on how to take care of uh, lawn and landscape. Uh, so we, we really try to get involved in the community in all kinds of different ways and would love to have you join us. That's as much uh, of this program as the learning aspect. It's the hands-on volunteerism. It is. It is. We, we ask that you, uh, in return for the training and, and so forth, we ask you give back volunteer hours in the community. And uh, that, that's really the goal of the program. And, and if you're not involved in the community, I, I mm-hmm. encourage you to get involved. Uh, It'd be a great way. rewarding. Mm-hmm. And this is a great way to do it. Uh, and you meet so many like-minded gardeners like yourself. So uh, it's a great, great program. Can't, can't ask for better. So just call your office, and that yes. number is? 270-826-8387. The ladies up front will put your name on the list, and you'll hear from us within the next week or two. We'll be finalizing our times and so forth. Sounds great. Pam, anything else? No, it's just been so much fun and so timely. I mean, these are answers to questions yeah. I have now. So thank well, you so much. And it. we'll talk to you in the spring. Hey, I'll be here. Yeah, we will. We'll have a lot to talk about then for sure. And all right, Andy, thanks so much for coming in and and being with us again. Enjoyed as always. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. We'll have more great topics for you each Monday and Friday. They'll be posted to our website and also wherever you find your podcasts. Have an idea for our show? Email us at aroundtownwithstarkandclark at gmail.com and be sure to tell your friends. He's Stark. And she's Clark. And until next time, we'll We'll see see you around town. town.